host, Hurtis Asylum, the show that's too weird to live and too damn stubborn to die. I'm Jason Bellardi, and we have film student and maker Brad Cousy back on the show. Now step into the padded cell, get fitted for a straitjacket, it's movie night in the asylum. Hey! Welcome hey. back to Absurdist Asylum. Um, uh, if we got any fans who stuck around for the uh, whole, almost, well, a little over a year it's been since our last epic episode. It was uh, mid-January that we recorded the one about uh, the uh, the room and the disaster artist. So if anybody's uh, still with us since then, wow, uh, we, we appreciate it. Um, but uh, we're, we're back and we're excited and um, it's been a long time. So, uh, Brad, how, how have you been in these long, uh, long, well, year, this long year or so? Um, seen any, seen any good movies lately? Yeah, I have seen quite a few good movies. I, I just can't believe it's been a full year since we've done an episode. That's yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, uh, right out the gate. I mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, uh, films that were, you know, nominated in the Oscars, um, the, I've seen a lot that probably nobody's ever even heard of. Um, there's one called the Chernobyl Diary. Have you seen that one? I, I've seen the Chernobyl Diaries. It's a good. It's it's a it's a little bit of a slow drag, if I remember correctly. But the ending has uh, got a good payoff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, like how you say drag because there's a lot of people being <laughs> dragged into darkness. <laughs> I don't know if you did that on purpose, but good pun. Uh, I mean, of course I did. But... <laughs> Um, let's see what else have I have I watched. Uh, I've seen a lot of documentaries lately, but strictly filming. I mean, I'm a big fan of Bohemian Rhapsody. I know it's been out for a little while, and I'm on the bandwagon. All right, I, I have yet to see. I don't think any of the Oscar nominees. Most of the movies I see are. I saw Wreck It Ralph too, which was probably the last movie I saw in theaters, which I wasn't a huge fan of. But that's, uh, damn, that's old. Yeah, it was a while ago. Uh, I I just bought tickets for Captain Marvel though today, um, so we're gonna go see that. Uh, not opening day, but a couple days after. But uh, something opens tomorrow, isn't that Captain Marvel? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, tomorrow's Thursday. Yep. My brother gets to go to that. Lucky, I'll be at work or oh, I'll be at school. Oh yeah. But yeah, I'm excited for that when that comes out. That's supposed to be one of the best uh, MCU's out there. I mean, I'm a sucker for the Marvel movies. Uh, I, I, it's it amazes me that people can still like hate on the Marvel movies, considering the fact that they're on movie twenty and movie twenty one. Captain Marvel is uh, almost guaranteed to pump out like five hundred million dollars worldwide. So it's like it's it's pretty difficult to say that those are bad movies. Yeah, well, I mean, look at the other end of the spectrum with uh, DC. Yeah. <laughs> See, I mean, the only one that I've ever really liked was Aquaman that just yeah. came out recently. Yeah. So. Um, the other ones are pretty garbage. Yeah, the, I haven't seen Aquaman. Uh, the only one that I thought was like halfway decent was the, uh, what was it, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was fairly decent. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I like that one, but got to be careful with what you say about it. I mean, uh, let's let's go no further than and, and uh, slip right into tonight's movie. <laughs> um, with 
with tonight's movie i i don't remember where i heard of it i just i just watched it with my wife earlier today uh and after she was done she was like where did you hear about that and i don't know i want to say it might have just been one of those um cringy countdown videos that i watch at youtube while i'm working that i just like i shut my mind off and i'm just like top 10 blah blah blahs and then uh this just piqued my interest so uh, that that may have been where it came from but I heard about it a while back. It's been on Amazon for a really long time. So uh, I guess before we keep everybody in suspense, the movie we, were watch- we watched was um, <laughs> Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel featuring Chris O'Dowd and Anna Faris. Uh, well, uh, speaking of, you heard me say watched. Um, it's a little breakup in format. We're not going to split up in between. We've actually taking some time to watch the movie beforehand, um, making it less of a, a time investment per podcast for us. Actually, it might even be more considering I watched the movie like three times at this point, but, uh, <laughs> but, and, and we don't have to do it all in one chunk. So, um, plus I think we get a little bit of, a some perspective on it, not having like just freshly watched it. So yeah. After, you know, 24 or 48 hours, we actually can, remember more parts and, and start actually criticizing or which is mainly what we do, but criticizing and, uh, you know, giving out, um, fame to parts of the movies. Yeah. Well, um, the, uh, the, the movie is plot is basically these guys are at a bar, a pub. Well, uh, I guess it starts off somewhere else, but that the chunk of the movie is that they're out, uh, at a pub. And they kind of start tripping through time, essentially, like they're not meeting to time travel, but they keep getting pulled into this, uh, these time travel scenarios. And uh, this is Chris O'Dowd and his two friends, who, of course, I don't remember their names, but let's get them pulled up right now. Uh, Mark Wooten and Dean Lennox Kelly, uh, who play Toby and Pete. Uh, they're just kind of hanging out at a bar, and then one of them, runs into Anna Ferris who plays a, what is she? She's a time cop essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, I don't time cop or like a time enforcer or something, but I, I like how every, every time we see her, it's a different Anna at a different time because they keep, accidentally jumping through time and they're like, they just don't know what's going on. Yeah. I think uh, that kind of brings me to a point that I wanted to touch is this movie did such a good job with a small budget and I didn't get an exact budget on, um, I didn't get an exact budget as to what they spent on the movie, but I did get a comment from the guy who wrote it, um, Dirk gently. And they asked him what he would do if he, if he had to like write the script for having such a small budget and he, he said he definitely had to, you know, kind of plan for having a budget. And I wanted to ask you because you are in film school and you do have to, I mean, I hear that you, you actually have to pay for the movies that you make out of your own pocket on top of film school. What, like what sorts of cuts have you had to do in order to, to get like something into the budget or, or get the uh, shot you wanted per se. Well, I mean, I'm 
as a director of photography or cinematography major, you know, I want to make it look as best as I possibly can. You know, I want everyone to look at most of the movie and be like, Oh my God, that was such a cool shot. Or wow, that was really beautiful. Problem is that requires a budget. So I wasn't, I couldn't find an exact budget they did on this either, but um, just by watching the movie, I could tell they only had two locations. They had a pub and they shot inside and outside of the pub. And then they had a studio where they rebuilt, you know, you know, the, the torn down city and all that. So they didn't have a whole lot of budgeting for location and location is one of the biggest things for the film. You can film a scene anywhere you want, but it's the location that really sells that, that fact that it's not a movie you're involved in this in watching this, this scene unfold. Yeah. I think that's one thing that the movie does really well is that they, they make great use out of the little they have. It does come across in some parts where they like, they want to go outside, but they never really do that. You like, as a, as a viewer, you kind of see what's going, want to see what's going on there a little bit more. But um, the fact that they, they did all this, at what basically looks like a pub built in somebody's house or was somebody's house. Cause it has like a weird backyard with the swing set and shit. But, uh, and, and the fact that they like kind of illustrated time travel by changing, like you said, changing Anna Ferris's, uh, hair and her clothes to, to kind of insinuate time has passed. Right. That. And, uh, I think definitely keeping this movie as a comedy cause it was definitely a comedy. I laughed my ass off on parts of it uh that kind of help sells the illusion of the of the theme they're going for because if it was more serious it just it wouldn't work they would have needed a much bigger budget they would have needed you know graphics and all sorts of stuff yeah i feel like there was there was two specific scenes where they kind of blew their budget on on um like cgi shots one was the first one where they kind of like fool you into uh, believing that he's actually like on a spaceship because he, they kind of like zoom in and the title credits for outer space and then onto it like a CGI spaceship. And then Chris O'Dowd is like decked out in space Marine gear. And he's given this like rousing speech. Yeah. At, uh, <laughs> at the very beginning. Yeah. And then the other scene where after they had already time traveled some, and it looks like they're in like this is post-apocalyptic, nuclear radiation area they uh have a cgi like giant ant and i like how they they double fake you with the giant <laughs> ant because they they think the guys the characters are scared because they think they hear this thing coming and then it turns out the noise they hear is just like this dude pushing the squeaky shopping cart and then uh you know you kind of like lose the tension because these guys are super scared and they ran away and then the this big cgi ant come and bites the dude's heads off Spoiler, and it, and it wasn't even a good CGI ant. You're like, no, wow. I, I think it was actually intentionally cheesy. Yeah, uh, yeah. For the fact that it's just that type of movie, and two, it probably made the it easier to do in budget. Oh, definitely. Like, I'm surprised it wasn't just like the old, uh, like 50s style ant that's just like a wire ant that they kind of like wiggle around to make it look like it's moving. Yeah, going back with special effects, like old school mechanical special effects. Yeah. But um, not that there's anything wrong with practical effects. Effects. <laughs> um, I can't. 
but um, yeah, not that there's anything wrong with practical effects. Uh, I, I mean, CGI is getting so so good; it's kind of getting to that weird, uncanny valley where it's like you can't even tell if it's if it's a real or a person. Going back to the Marvel movies, they can uh, they can you know age like Robert Downey Jr. or um, the the old Ant Man. I can't remember his name right now, but they can like de-age them and make it look almost spot on. Yeah, and it's weird because like. We're, our generation is so used to good CGI movies now, movies and TV shows, that when you see it, when it doesn't look that great, it immediately takes you out of the film. You're like, oh, that CGI sucked. Like the story could have been really, really good. Or, you know, the, the, the actors and actresses could have been really talented. But like what pulls you out is like, man, that CGI sucked. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the movie, when he's making this rousing speech in space, uh, and they, they're, they're trying to sell you on like him being the space Marine. And then I don't remember what gives it away exactly. I think they, fl- they quick cut to a bunch of kids like yep. watching him with uh, 3d glasses on. And then he starts like, he starts cursing and talking about how they're going to like destroy the effing enemy and all that. Uh, and the kids start crying and basically he, he kind of freaks out and sets off an alarm. Like the kids start losing, uh, losing their lunch and like freaking out. Cause it's like a 3d space, ride, Right. And so <laughs> the, and then the next scene is him getting fired and they do, uh, this thing in, in, in that scene where they like, there's no dialogue. It's just like, uh, kind of ominous. Well, if there's first, there's kind of like military music and then it kind of switches to like an ominous music and they, they do a good job with the not using dialogue to kind of like sing home that the reality that they tried to sell us of him being like engrossed in this space Marine, uh, um, role. Uh, and then the real reality is now he's like, doesn't have a job and he's got like a kind of a crappy life. Um, they use that, that silence to kind of like bang that idea home that, that the reality is not the reality that he wants. Well, the silence also, I think plays in part with, um, his character arc because at the, at the very beginning because there's no you know he doesn't t- try to talk to the boss he just accepts the fact that he's getting fired with no dialogue mm-hmm. and that kind of makes him look like you know the weaker of the the power struggles and then throughout the film as it builds he becomes you know I wouldn't say the the more the most powerful but his character arc goes from like zero all the way around so he becomes he kind of becomes the leader he leads the three men the guys through all the space jumps and he's kind of like the brains and the decision making so i think that might be another reason why they did it but it could also been we got to cut this together really fast because we have no budget and so let's just do it without no dialogue that's i mean i've done that i mean sometimes it works sometimes it does not and it looks like you know, i think i think uh more towards what you said kind of building towards his character arc in that scene as he's leaving he does kind of give that last like uh death throes of trying to kick over some stuff in his boss's office but then his boss kind of gives him half a sideways glance and immediately he goes to pick it back up so i think it does kind of build towards that that character arc like you spoke about yeah i, I and also um he's the only one I think that actually arcs like all the characters are supposed to have an arc and in in good filmmaking. um, The main character should definitely arc. And then the villain should not because you don't want to bond to the villain Yeah. because 
we as humans bond to people that go through a change kind of thing. Uh-huh. So the other characters who didn't arc, they're just kind of like the same. I love the ending of the movie. Like you could tell there was no arc because he's like, come on, let's go and, and save the world again with Anna Ferris, who is now also my girlfriend for the last two years. Uh-huh. And then he goes, now nah, we're just going to go down to the next pub instead. So like, he's like ready for the adventure. And the other two guys are like, we'd rather just go drink. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the peak like they with the Toby character, they kind of tried to force a little bit of an arc near the end, and and yeah. we'll get to the end. Um, but the Pete character definitely had no arc, and and it kind of brings me to a question: Is it just like a movie trope to have the one friend who's kind of an asshole to everyone, like always playing pranks or talking shit? Um, is that is that something that's like pretty common? It's called, uh, yeah, it's called a. Uh, in a lot of buddy comedies there there is it's that character is like the comic relief Uh he's there to kind of break the tension if there's a lot of tension or he's there to try to uh he's there to show what a like bring forth the red herrings which are just like big arrows saying like hey listen to what i'm saying because it's really important yeah most of the time whatever the the comic relief character gets or supporting actress or actor gets whatever they say is usually somewhat important because they don't get a lot of lines. So when they do get a line, it, it makes sense for it to be important. And that's where, you know, like I said, a lot of red herrings come in. Um, just things that audience members normally wouldn't pay attention to if the main character said it, but because the secondary character said it, you're like, Oh, okay. I should probably listen to what he said. But yeah, I mean, there's also movies. I've seen a bunch of movies where, uh, you know, the comic relief character is just there to make you laugh. Like he doesn't really have any other reason other than, well, this scene got a little too, you know, dicey. Let's give him a weird line or a joke and we can brighten up the scene a bit. Let's throw in a ha ha here and there. Yeah. That's- and it's usually awkward, especially because this movie was, I don't know exactly who filmed it or when it was filmed or I mean where it was filmed. I don't know if it was in like the UK or anywhere, but British comedy is more dry sense humor than uh-huh. American. So I, I think that's kind of maybe where it was either written and or filmed at was probably somewhere near Britain or UK or somewhere around that. Well, it was definitely filmed in uh, London because it's a BBC production. It was. It had okay. filming locations in uh, London, England and Pinewood Studios. So you're right. They, they had the probably the pub in London and then Pinewood Studios is where they rebuilt the pub. I, they probably didn't probably didn't spend a whole lot of time. I bet this whole movie was probably filmed in two months. I bet it wasn't like very long. When you have one location and mm-hmm. you have all access to that one location, you just knock out scenes and just start. You know, as long as they look good and, and everything is done correctly and everything's on time, like I, I bet they saved a lot of money just by doing that one location. I actually think it would have been worse if they had more. Like if they went to an actual abandoned city or if they went back to their other house or they went to another pub, I think keeping it in the one location gave them the chance to keep the audience because time travel movies are really hard. We actually just talked about this in uh, my class last Tuesday. Oh yeah. So that's, that's one thing I did want to ask you about. Do you have like any favorite time travel movies? Time travel movies that are my favorites. 
Man, I don't know about favorite. I mean, I've all, I'm a big fan of the Back to the Future movies, obviously. Uh-huh. Everybody. I think everybody is. I don't think one person is not a fan of that. Um, you could say the first Star Trek was a time travel movie. The first of the new Star Treks? Yeah, with Chris Pine. And, yeah, it definitely um, was a time travel movie. There was some, yeah, because they went back in time a few times. Fuckery, yeah. Plot was based around that. But this is probably the funniest time travel movie that I've seen. Yeah, it's definitely up there as far as like not taking itself too seriously. Um, I think uh, one of my favorite time travel movies would probably be like, um, I don't know, the uh, Army of Darkness was a good oh, one. Oh, God, I forgot about I was kind of classifying that as more of a horror, but yeah, it's definitely. Time well, travel. There's, there's, there's some time travel. It's not like... Uh, I mean, it starts off with time travel, I guess. But um, or, or or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is another great time travel movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. I don't um, think anything in that movie is serious. <laughs> I thought I thought for a second that the name of the pub that they're in, called the White Horse Inn, was a reference to Bill and Ted's Wild Adventure because I was thinking that their name was White Stallion, but then I realized I'm an idiot and their name is actually Wild Stallion. Um, so it'd be uh, interesting to watch it to watch it again and see what what i missed yeah i definitely definitely saw i mean it's not like a crazy in-depth movie but there are definitely some um things on there that are are you know you catch them on your second viewing or so uh one of the things anna ferris's necklace in one of the first scenes is a butterfly um uh and it's uh, like a Easter egg to the butterfly effect, which mm-hmm. is not only another good time travel movie. I don't know how you feel about that one, but um, oh yeah, but also it's uh, a theory about what would happen if you were to like change something small in, during time travel, um, and then that effect would butterfly out into something bigger in the future. It's, uh, Actually, I think in the movie that we watched when she she holds the necklace the butterfly necklace while she's trying to explain what she thinks um what was that term he used the the term about changing very small things will still have an impact that's uh later. the chaos effect the or chaos. chaos theory so i wonder and she was i think she was playing with the necklace in that scene so that's another like paying yeah. homage to that movie yeah um i was i actually i when i was a kid i read the the lost world book which had a lot to do with the chaos theory so i thought it was really interesting um but so and the whole the whole book itself was uh was uh based on like the uh the dinosaurs like getting more and more chaotic which was breaking the park more and more um but uh-huh. there's, there's actually a lot of interesting stuff on uh, like Wikipedia about the chaos theory, if that's something you want to look into. I'm not smart enough to explain it, but <laughs> Jason, come on, I believe in you. Um, that that's that makes one of us. We're both gonna have to get properly fucked up and then see if we can explain it to somebody else. I mean, fair enough. That's fair. <laughs> let's let's go to the White Horse Inn where these guys went and see if we can travel into a paradox. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um. So I guess we'll get a little bit deeper into the plot. Uh, at, at one point, like we mentioned, Anna Ferris comes back in time 
to basically just introduce herself to Chris O'Dowd's character. And she kind of tells him that he's like very important figure in the future. Um, and of course he doesn't believe her. He, he thinks that she, he, she's like a setup by his, by his friends to kind of mess with them. Cause he knows they know he likes time travel. He doesn't stop talking about it through most of the beginning, what 25 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Well, um, maybe not that, maybe not that long, but it's, it's, it's a little ways into the movie. Yeah. Where, yeah. Well, I mean, they talk about it through the whole movie, but, <laughs> but they think he thinks it's a setup. Yeah. So he thinks it's a, um, he thinks it's a setup. And then as he's explaining it to his buddies, one of his buddies gets up and goes to the bathroom and, uh, we get an extensive shot of him dancing around singing in the bathroom that's my favorite shot of the whole thing. I mean, it's either that one or when they do it all together later. Oh, and God. When he comes out, he sees that the, the pub that he was just in had a bunch of people in it. It's filled with a bunch of dead bodies, and he sees himself with it as a dead body. So he freaks out, runs back into the bathroom, and then comes back out, and everything's normal again. And so he explains to his buddies what just happened. And of course, they don't believe him. He says, you don't believe me. Come into the bathroom with me. And so they all go into the bathroom, do the same song and dance number all together, um, and then come back out and nothing happened. But then they realize that I'm actually, it's funny that I say, I say it right now, they realize that they're sitting, still sitting at the same bar that they just left. Uh, if that makes any sense, there's, like there's two of them now and there's a set of them in the past. And so that's when they realize, like all realize there's actually something weird going on with the time. Um, and then Chris O'Dowd catches Anna Ferris on her way out from talking to earlier Chris O'Dowd and explains like, Oh, some weird stuff's going on. And she uh, doesn't believe him and then disappears for just about a second. And then this is where we get the, the cool costume change where she comes back and explains that there's a, a rift in time and all they need to do is just, continue hiding in the broom closet because she's going to go fix it. She's going to fix everything. And she, man, that whole thing is brought up like three times. She's like, it's okay. It's, it took me six months longer, but I fixed it. And then chaos ensues. And then they meet her again. And she's like, Oh yeah, it was another six months, but I got a promotion and I fixed it. And it's just like, every time you see her, it's like, you, you didn't fix anything. <laughs> it got worse. It's, it's, it's funny how, like, so, so that kind of happens a couple of times. They get to the, one of the times uh, they go into the bathroom and come back out and it's the like nuclear future that we saw where the bar is broken down. Like we talked about, uh, they kind of have, they're in a different set and, uh, and it looks like they just like sprayed dust all over at the walls. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but it looks like they took just like a, like a ceiling sprayer. And it, it, looked, it looked exactly like that yeah. to make it look like it was snowy and cold. Yeah. It almost looked like, um, like a, a nuclear fallout. Yeah. Um, it looked like spray insulation that people spray their house with. Yeah. Oh, that's exactly what I thought. Like you spray the, the steel columns of buildings to insulate them. Yeah. Uh, that's, ex- <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Well, at least I think, but yeah, so, uh, being as it looked like a, a nuclear fallout situation, I actually did some research to see uh, how much danger they would be in um, spending that amount of time, uh, which wasn't a very long amount of time. What do you, what do you think? They were probably in the in the bar in that kind of scene anywhere between like 
20 to 30 minutes total because they didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but not actual film time, just kind of like guesstimating how long they were actually there. But it turns out that extremely high doses of radiation can kill you in about an hour, but that's, that's extremely high. I think they probably would have felt it by the time they were leaving there. If they, uh, um, Oh, you mean like story wise? Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be, uh, I don't know, funny or, or just ominous to have like the whole movie over and then Toby goes to the hospital because he's got radiation poisoning. <laughs> well, I mean, they could have added a scene or added something to where like one of them starts getting sick and they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Instead of, I don't know, but I did, I like the, the memorial they have of the three of them painted on the building and they're just like, what the fuck? Oh yeah, that's right. So they do in that scene where they're kind of in that nuclear winter, they all change clothes or at least put on some warmer clothes because it's cold. Uh, but then they find when they step outside, they find a mural of themselves wearing those clothes and they don't really know what it's for. Uh, I don't think anything really happens with it in that particular scene until they go back into the bathroom and come back out. Um, yeah, that's when they go back to the bathroom. Yeah. So they go back into the bathroom and come back out and they find out there's like a party with all these people who are all dressed like each of the three of them. So it's like a costume party where they're all dressed like in these like paint covered sweaters and yeah, the theme party. Yeah. Ratty clothes. (laughs) And they eventually find out that these people are there because they um, left some sort of uh, writing behind at the bar that somebody found and it made them like famous in the future, like uh, almost godlike. He says at one point, he says, I look like Jesus. They were, he's, yeah, they were painted like Jesus. Yeah. Um, oh, I, we still never find out what the fuck it was. I think, I think that's very important. It's almost like the, so yeah, we never find out what's actually written on a piece of paper that makes them famous, but uh that I think that's very important, almost like the monsters in Bird Box. Have you seen Bird Box? No, not yet. All right, so I'm sure you've heard that you don't actually see the monsters. Yeah, I've heard a lot about Bird Box. So it's 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 almost like it would if it wasn't the right thing on the piece of paper, I could give two shits about like what's on what the movie like what the movie was. It's like it, they made it ominous enough, or not ominous. Um, I guess ominous could be a way to describe it, but they made it just like vague enough to where you could believe that he has like some holy manuscript insight written on the other side of this, like letter to Hollywood. He's right where he's, uh, as they put it, slagging off bad movies. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's also the scene when they go back to find the piece of paper to see what the hell it was that made him so famous when they lift it up off the table they all get glowed by this like or this this gold light almost like, like uh, from pulp fiction the light out of the out of the suitcase yeah. yeah like some kind of godly artifact that makes them famous and they're all just looking at it in like wonder and awe and we never see it and i i think it's smart not to show it because i mean i can't think of anything that would make them so famous that people would want to track them down and kill them for it yeah. Uh, so I guess, it, yeah, we should get to that. Um, the kind of, and it's the, the pacing of this movie is a little weird cause they spend a lot of time 
just kind of hopping around time with no real direction. But then I think it's building suspense. I think yeah, kind of. They, they definitely, they're definitely building suspense, but they find out that because they made this thing, people called editors who go back in time and kill people uh, just after they make their greatest creation uh, because they, they think that the people no longer go on to like help society in any way or contribute to society or the arts in any way. So they, they said it was like, a, a downfall of create creativity or something. So it's like they're killing, they're killing the people at their peak. Yeah. It's like a, you know, end on a high note. Um, yeah. So they, they find out that this other character, Millie, who does eventually help them get back home uh, to their time is hunting them down. So the only reason she helped them get back, or me, helped them get back home was to murder, them. Uh, to murder them when they made this note. Uh, so the, uh, um, the, the character herself is hot. She, I think we, we kind of like missed the, the most important part or not most important part, the most, um, I guess, interesting way that they saved money on this movie was by saying that the time machines are like grafted onto their skeletons. So there's no need for like big portals or spaceships or anything crazy like that. Or like big equipment pieces. They got a whole yeah. death. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so the the main that was also a, a riff back on Terminator because I can't remember, but one of the characters says, "What does she think she's fucking Terminator or something?" Yeah, yeah. When he he says uh, when he initially tells them about him meeting uh, Cassie Anna Ferris's character, that's right. She uh, he mentions the skeletons built into her skin, or her, or the time machine is built into her skeleton. So. <laughs> But uh, the, uh, the you know they they mention in the movie kind of early on all the like rules like the silly rules for time travel like you can't like touch yourself or uh, <laughs> I forgot about that part. <laughs> Don't sleep with anybody because it usually turns out to be your mom or somebody. So some yeah, kind of is, uh, yeah. Don't sleep with anybody because it turns out to be your mom or your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is yeah. a riff on, you know, uh, Back to the Future. Oh, yeah, right, right. There's some other silly ones that I found just looking around. Uh, you can only travel in groups of three at a time. Uh, and it says, why three? Because that's the size of the group they want to use in the game Chrono Trigger. I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> uh, Did you look that up? Yeah, there's just some, you know, some other, like, common time travel rules. Um, <laughs> some of them are pretty ridiculous. Just like, like what, what's the most ridiculous one you've seen? Well, this one, it says you can be hypnotized into time travel, but snapped out with a penny. And apparently in the movie somewhere in time, Christopher Reeve uses self hypnosis to send himself back in time. Huh? I don't, I wa I watched that movie a way long time ago. I don't remember okay. that part. The only movie I remember with Christopher Reeves is the one where he's in his wheelchair already and there's like an evil monkey trying to kill him or something like that. It was a weird... Oh, what the fuck is that called? I don't know. That's another time for another show. Another Google. Another Google search. <laughs> another. Um, yeah, so let's see. We talked about 
what's your favorite time travel movie? Uh, when they, the writer did his AMA on Reddit, they asked him about uh, kind of how he managed a timeline as far as like keeping, uh, you know, your time travel story where you're jumping back and forth uh, all kind of as continuous as you can. And it's funny. He, he quoted Stephen King um, and it, it, I'll I'll read the quote, but it basically boils down to like, because you're doing a time travel movie, if you, if you need to go back and change something, just go back and change it. Um, (laughs) uh, Stephen, Stephen King says, if you write your hero into a corner in chapter 10 and you think he could really do with a gun, you can always go back and give him one in chapter two. So uh, that's Stephen King's quote. Uh, you know, so it's like you're making, you're changing time essentially. Why would you limit yourself? Yeah. But I mean, I could see that being done in books, but you know, Stephen King writes, you know, six, eight, 900 page books. Well, I can't even 900, but I mean, He's got like a 600 page book mm. trying to get all that information, 600 pages of writing into a movie. That's, I mean, now movie movies these days are about two hours. They used to be 90 minutes. Now they're about two hours. Trying to get all that information into one movie is so difficult. They get to split it up. So in the movie version, they'd probably cut the fact where, well, we'd go back and give him a gun. They'd probably just write it into the screenplay where, well, now he's got a gun. Yeah. I think that's kind of what they're saying is like, you're, you're changing things up already. Like you're, you're the creator of this story. So, right. Um, but yeah, you, don't, don't limit yourself. It's, if it's a time travel movie, like do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, as someone who makes films, have you ever wanted to do a time travel film or, or thought about doing that? Well, actually, last semester we somebody somebody wrote a script about a time travel movie, but and I was actually I was going to DP it, director photography, not the other meeting that most people think when they hear DP. Fair enough. Let's just get that out there. Uh, not that you'd was, be opposed, but that's not what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to be the the director photography on that, but I've read the script and there's people in film school where you, they want honest feedback and then they kind of want you to just lie to them so they don't feel bad. Yeah. This guy, this guy was like, tear, tear it apart. Tell me what doesn't work. Yeah. And I was like, well, this, this sucks. (laughs) So like the way that he wrote his script was the budget would have to be, $200 $200 million to be able to even film any of this. Like he wanted to go back into like the Jurassic period and then move into the fifties and then the seventies and then go into the nineties and then present and then go into the future and then come back. So he wanted to do so much time travel that I was like, I'm not, I don't want to be a part of this. <laughs> this is too much. But uh, that was the only time that I've actually ever really thought about doing a time travel movie. After watching this movie, I thought, this is a pretty simple way to do it. This didn't take a lot of time. This, the writing was very clever, but it just depends what you want to do really. Yeah. I I think, uh, yeah, you should go back to that guy and show him this movie and say, this is how you do it on a budget. Like no (laughs) fucking dinosaurs. (laughs) I remember one of the scene headings was, was, 
I can't remember the character's name, but like man, man drops in from the portal, lands on his face, rolls over, and the the pike of the Stegosaurus is trying to hit him. So like the second he enters into the Jurassic world, they're immediately trying to kill him. And I was like, how the fuck do you, are we gonna film any of this? Like, do you want to just do special effects where like like mechanical effects where we just like have some guy dressed up in a shit dinosaur? <laughs> It, it was it was a mess. It actually didn't become anything. The uh, the director actually cut that script and never filmed it. Huh. It was yeah. too much. But yeah, this is the way that they went about this movie was smart. It was very well crafted, well written, and again, I think as it being a comedy film sells the illusion that you're watching a movie because I I watched the full movie all the way through and didn't pause it or anything and. Like I was involved throughout the whole time. I kind of, at some point, I forgot I was watching a movie, and that's kind of the whole point of filmmaking. Yeah, it's definitely a, a bummer when you you're engrossed in a movie and and uh, you know something happens that kind of pulls you out of it. I think uh, you know, no offense to the man, I think that's what the Stan Lee cameos did for me, and a lot of them are. Oh, yeah it got to the point where I think it was like guardians Two, where they kind of rolled it into, it was working for the watchers type thing. So that's why he's like the same character and all these things. But it got to the point where it's like, Oh, like I'm enthralled in this movie. It's like, Oh, there's Stanley. Um, and hey, so it's like, it was a joke and they uh-huh. did it in the first couple movies of MCU. And then some, someone or Hollywood, some executive decided let's do it in all of them. But then they didn't realize the dude's 85 and he's probably going to die soon. Oh, I mean, shit. Shocker. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, rest in peace. But, uh, you know, I, like I said, I think they kind of fixed it towards the end and, and I definitely will miss seeing him in the next movie. Um, plug, plug. I guess he's supposed to have a really uh, heartfelt message in Marvel. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I, I read an article earlier today that said <clears throat> the last time we see him in anything is – Captain Marvel and there's like a heartfelt I don't know if it's a heartfelt message at the end of the film or if it's like while he's on screen in the movie I don't, I don't know Ooh, someone knows how to read yeah well it took me about 26 years but I'm almost there nice I'm almost, I'm almost all the way to L <laughs> so I think we can get to the end of the movie um, where they are at the bar kind of in a, in a bit of a standoff situation where the character who's trying to kill them is, um, hot. Uh, uh, she was, she had, was, she wasn't ugly. She is, she has some weird, interesting. Yeah. Attributes. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's some weird things, but, um, I know which one you're thinking of. <laughs> uh, but so she's like appealing to Toby, the character who, who wrote down, this uh this you know life changing whatever he wrote on the piece of paper um and she's appealing and she says you know i can i can kill you now and you'll go on to be a legend or you can live and keep writing crap and and nobody will give a shit about yeah, you kind of nobody thing. cares about you and he like he struggles with it for longer than you really should. I mean, to comedic effect, it's not like it's not like it was a a, a, a bad scene in the movie. It was it was funny how long he struggled with it, but uh, 
it, it, it gets so far as to the end, and I'll spoiler alert this. Spoiler. Uh, yeah, for this movie that was made in 2009. Um, it, it gets to the point where she does wind up killing everybody at the bar, uh, including our three main characters. Uh, and, and at the last second, as Chris O'Dowd is kind of in his like dying breaths, he reaches up and knocks over a beer onto this uh, paper and the the beer kind of like welts away all the 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 writing meaning that none of what we watched happened like at yeah, all the, the last hour we just watched them go through this horrible nightmare it's just like oh done nope didn't happen and, and, and you know normally i feel like that would be a big kind of rip-off moment in most movies it's like in lost where you wait like they you know, spoiler for Lost, they find out they're all in heaven at the end. Or, um, but it, it would feel like a bit of a ripoff in most movies, except in a good time travel movie, it's kind of the point is you want everything to go back to the way it was before, mostly. Like, it's, it's you know, you don't want things to stay, you know, broken and changed like they, they were during a good chunk of this movie. Yeah, they, they call it a, a back to one or a book ending, you know, because you have, you know, the cover, cover of a book, the cover of a book should look the same as the back of the book. So it kind of like starts, you know, the page would be like the story and then it ends the same way. Um, yeah, it's just like all the, the 30 minute sitcoms where they, they have an issue, you know, a couple of minutes into the show and then it's resolved by the end and everything's the same. Right. And then every episode it's like, Oh, Hey, there's another issue. Like, damn. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually like <clears throat> like the fact that they didn't try to open it up to another film. I don't like I'm not a big fan of films where I think our, our society th- these days are getting too worked up on waiting for something during the end of the credits uh-huh. or waiting till the very end of the film to see if there'll be a number 2. If the studios want a number 2, they're going to write a number 2 and do a number 2 regardless. So, like, get a good ending. Like, let it end on something good and, and not try to set up for a second film. Unless the setup is something so badass or that everybody agrees on it, then sure. So, it's funny that you say that because I did you, like, did you watch through most of the credits? <laughs> I watched to the very end of the credits where there was the post scene. Yeah, so <laughs> there was like a post-credit scene and even like almost a mid-credit scene where they Anna Ferris comes out of an actual like big CGI portal and like you said, they she like runs right up to uh, Chris O'Dowd and gives him a big kiss and says, we've been dating for two years, which I mean, he, he gets to skip the whole like awkward beginning parts of a relationship where you don't know like what's okay or... Like he got way over that, and now it's just like that's steady dating at two years at that point. But um, yeah, they come out, and she's like, "Come on, me with this adventure. Come, <laughs> come with me on this adventure." Where she she uses the word. She says it's not time travel; it's another dimension. Interdimension so, travel. Yeah, so it's it's almost like they did set it up for a sequel, uh, where like you could easily, if you wanted to. 
if all of a sudden, you know, say some random podcast brings up your old 2009 movie and then suddenly <laughs> everybody starts rewatching it again, demands a sequel, they yeah. can go on and do like an interdimensional travel, you know, frequently ask questions about interdimensional travel or something like that. Um, so if they really wanted to, there, there's easily room for a sequel there. But I, I agree with you. I don't think that they should. Well, the, the way they did it, and I don't know if you watched it, a, like not very far past the credits, like not even a full minute into the credits, there is another scene. I don't know if you watched it. Yeah, isn't that where... Uh, they walk from behind the brick wall? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's like within 30 seconds. So the way they end the film, I actually thought it was smart. Because around 2008, 2009, this is when all of the you know, post-credit scenes, you know, this is when it started to happen. Uh-huh. People were thinking like, every filmmaker was like, we got to have a post-credit scene to get people involved in the next one. Uh-huh. So everybody did it. And so, but they did it differently. They didn't just do one. They did one right at the very end that set up the next film, if there ever to was be another film. Uh-huh. And then they let the credits kind of roll through a little bit. And then like within 20 seconds, they cut to, the exact same way that they they are revealed in every other time warp where they just kind of walk in and they're like, Oh, okay. Oh, damn it. And then something happens and then it cuts there. So it leaves it on like a, 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 a comedic type of uh, post credit scene. Yeah. Cause like you see, you saw what happened where the one character became like, it was like they were twins or they were like one got shape shifted into the other. Yeah. And so it like it piqued your curiosity for the next film. Yeah, and it's also they're just kind of like playing around with it. it seemed like they were kind of just playing at the end there with like silly like movie trope type things where you know they got the the like you said the evil twin scenario or um, what, I don't know what the, I don't really know what that was, but yeah. Yeah, it seemed <laughs> like it was, it was pretty random and silly, but that's and that's the reason like you I I wanted to know what the fuck happened. Yeah. Got to pay for number 2 I to mean, watch to see what happened. I guess so. It's it's weird to think like filmmaking and movies they're all about people asking questions and getting answers. Uh-huh. Like that's all it ever really is and it's just the way that that happens is told in such a weird and such a stylized effect that we sit there in one spot for 2 hours just listening to people ask questions and give answers yeah with maybe the occasional side boob or badass <laughs> action scene definitely yeah um so i guess one question i i would ask since we're asking questions and getting answers is Ooh, if you so could go back in time and do slash change one thing with zero consequences what would you do besides killing Hitler? Not because I want to like protect Hitler just because that's what everyone would pick because that would be like the most good scenario. Can I, can I bring attention to the fact that everybody in the world would probably do that first? Like we might all be divided, but if we can all come together and just kill Hitler (laughs) in time, it's always the first thing. It's always the first thing. If somebody says or mentions or thinks about um, they mentioned it in the movie uh, when they first <laughs> when he first meets Anna Faris. He goes, "Well, why don't you just go back and kill Hitler?" And uh, and she's like, "Oh, that that would be a time crime. I couldn't do that." I like I like how they address that because every time 
time movie that I've ever seen. It's like, yeah, that's really cool that you can go and do this, but why don't you go back and do something that matters? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, man, okay. If I could go back in time, only once. Yeah. Only you, once. You get, you get back to your to your time eventually. What if What if I decide to stay in that time and see how that time goes? I mean, if that's what you want to do. Okay. This is this is your fantastic voyage, not mine. All right. I would say. You know what? I wouldn't. I would I, I would go back and maybe fix some mistakes that I've made, like uh, past – it's always past relationships, you know, like whether it's a friend or girlfriend. Uh, like, oh, man, I wonder what would have happened if we were still together. Go back in time to see how that plays out. But I like the way my life is right now, and I think it's going very well. And I, I don't – I didn't really realize – how good my life is right now until you just asked me if I would change anything. <laughs> so I, I guess that's a good thing. That's but... I mean, it's interesting. I'm glad I can, can provoke those emotions. You know, I think, I think I feel mostly the same way. If I, I think if I did have the opportunity to go back in time, uh, there was this one time I was, I was at a, a nice restaurant and uh, I got the soup and, and I should have gone salad. So <laughs> Oh, it was in France, and it cost me so much. And I was like, "Damn it, should have got the salad." I mean, the salad just looks so good. You know, they they tricked me. But um, if we're being realistic, if I had to pick one moment that I can change and come back to, and still kind of continue everything, I I would say it would be the moment. Uh, it it'd probably be the moment I got picked up for uh, for uh, public intoxication. Ah, I would have I would have hid. <laughs> I would have hid better than where they found me. Not not drinking less, just just hid. Well, I mean, I remember everything, and the night was fun. The only uh-huh. reason I got picked up is because I was twenty, and I was two weeks away from turning twenty-one. Ah, shit! And the officer that pulled me over was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And I told You're like, him, "What the shit, man? I get a month's leniency if my license expires, but I don't get two weeks for turning twenty-one." The funny thing is that officer was really cool about it. He's like, "Hey, I get it." I used to be, you know, I was like, I was your age once too. He's like, let me just get your license, your, 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 uh, your ID and tell me where you live and I'll let you just walk back home. But I'm going to follow you back home. Cause I, I told him I lived two blocks down the street uh-huh. That's, and I did. And okay. he's like, you can, I can't give you a ride home, but I'll, I'll let you walk down the street and I'll follow you and make sure you get home safe. That's I was funny. like, awesome. So he was going to let me go. And I was all excited. And I was, and earlier I was sitting there thinking as I'm handcuffed to the ground, or like sitting on my hands on the ground. I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't run away. Cause I was really thinking about just booking it down the street. That's funny. And then right as I'm thinking that this other cop comes around the corner and, uh, my immediate thought was they're definitely not both going to let me go. <laughs> so if I could go back in time, I would have, uh, I would have saw seen the cop car and like tackled myself out of the way and then ran away. So my previous self couldn't see myself, but enough to hide me from the cop car. That's funny. So I just think somebody attacked me <laughs> and then, and then I don't have a public intoxication on my record. And I think, I think it's actually off my record right now. It's not even on there anymore. So I don't know why I give a shit, but uh, that's the only bad thing that ever happened to me. That's great. You got to give me a real answer. None of the uh, super uh, salad uh, bullshit. Right. Real answer. It's kind of hard to think about. You know, uh, 
if I had the opportunity to go back in time, I would probably convince myself to pay more attention in high school. Um, I graduated on time and everything like that, but I did a lot of fucking off in high school. So I think I, I could have, I mean, not that I'm doing bad badly now, but I maybe could have gotten here a little bit, a little bit quicker if I had been better in high school. Or just to see wh- like where you would be. Yeah. What did you want to do in high school when you were, when you were a senior and I'm sure everybody, your family, your family's family were like, what are you going to do? What did you tell them? Uh, when I was a senior, I just wanted to get the fuck out of school and keep smoking <laughs> weed. But when I was in high school, like when I actually cared about high school, I wanted to go into the military. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Things change, don't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when people asked me what I wanted to do, and I was like, I want to be an architect. And then I realized you've got like nine more years of math. I said, fuck <laughs> that. Hey, look at that cool film camera. I'll just start learning this instead. And, and, you know, all that hard work at film school has got you a spot on this podcast. So, I mean, at least it paid off, you know, <laughs> tuition. I mean, right. as an accredited podcast in like this full. one. Um, on that note, uh, I, I appreciate you, uh, you, you watching this movie with me. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate anybody who time traveled from a year ago <laughs> to today to listen to us again. And uh, thanks for stopping by Absurdist Asylum. Brad, you got anything you want to say? Yeah, I want to know how long have you been waiting to land that joke? Uh, I mean, since the the moment I picked time travel as (laughs) my movie and then realized today that it had been a full year since we did the last one. Damn, I can't believe it's a full year. Well, it was funny and I laughed at it, so it worked. (laughs) <laughs> all right well uh we'll catch you guys on the next one um that is absurd asylum at gmail.com if you want to send, send us an email absurdist asylum at uh it's at absurdist asylum on twitter and fuck facebook um so yeah we'll catch you guys next time